We're gathered here today to say farewell and celebrate the life of St. Bonaventure Basketball. The program, born in 1919, died in 2022. We'll always have the fond memories of Bob Lanier, of Andrew Nicholson, Jalen Adams, you know, even at the very end, Oshuno Shunyi and Kyle Lofton. In 2021, got us through a tough time in the pandemic, but they they just couldn't pull through in the end. Wait, what's that? He's not dead! Just experiencing the arrival, the return of the dead man. Well, my friend, the bodies have turned heel, and we will allow the purity of evil to guide us. You can't hide from the dead man. You better give your soul to the Lord, because Travis Ford's scrawny ass will belong to me tonight. There will be a sacrifice. Sometimes it's hell getting to heaven. And the Bonnies have chosen hell. And I only have one thing to say to you, little Bonna X. Oh, God. You are the one who will rest in peace. God, I buried us too soon. Oh God, SB Unfrozen Friends, episode 38, the Bonnies, they're alive! Welcome everybody to episode 38 of SB Unfurled and Friends. Lobot X here with SB Unfurled. You heard it in the cold open. The Bonnies, they're alive again. And some of us, I, I will not name any names <clears throat> myself, uh, may have buried this team a little too early, it appears, huh? It seems the Bonnies have turned heel. They have gone into complete heel mode, which is a, a heel turn is always good. That's when a... a good guy becomes a villain basically and it seems like they're really using the the fans um i don't want to say like disgust but i would say the fans disappointment and how that season has gone especially those back-to-back losses and then how we looked before that um there was a lot being said about how the season was completely dead as you know and I think that was the final like rallying point that this team used. It, there was a lot I felt like that they, they could have rallied around, um, but there have been really tough points of the season with Lofton's ankle and then COVID and um, just a very inconsistent season since mid-November. That, it seems like this is the last rallying cry, and they're like, we believe in ourselves. We got to prove to our own fans that we're back prove it to ourselves right. um and they're using it as motivation i think i i think that's what it is like you see Holmes giving the thumbs down and the shush sign to the crowd <laughs> the home crowd the, the home student section which is I, I don't know if that's what it was um with the you know the online stuff social media but whatever it was the flip has switched and the last three games this looks like a completely different team <laughs> Mainly, I would say because of the defense and the energy. I mean, we're just bringing it on the defensive end, and it's making things way easier on the offensive end because so many times we would give up 
wide open threes or open looks. And obviously you have to take the ball out, get the ball up, get into your half court set. And we just didn't look good shooting the ball or, you know, there were some lulls in the half court sets where the offense wasn't really flowing, but the defense getting back to where it was last year, getting into that matchup zone, um, throwing different looks, so energetic. Welch is all over the floor. Oshun looks fully healthy. Lofton looks fully healthy now. Um, and it, they just, the last three games, this has looked like the team we expected. So where do you think everything has changed for the most part? Cause there had to be some kind of, like you said, the flip is switched. <laughs> yes. The switch was flipped. Yes. At some point, there's been so many different types of criticism we've had. Um, I was obviously doing a bit. I did not think that the program was dead. I was being exaggerating. And I hope that if I'm in some ways fueling the guys because they've seen some of my stupid tweets and maybe aren't aware of the bit and they want to prove us wrong. And if I'm going to be the wrestling villain, I will happily be the wrestling villain. If we go, <laughs> we're 3-0 and since my funeral for the Bonnies before the Fordham game. If they go... go 10 and 0, 11 and 0, 12 and 0, whatever. Since then, I will happily take every shit that anybody will throw at me. But getting back to the games, where has there been a change? I mean, they beat Fordham by 25. I was waiting to see if, you know, that would come through with St. Louis. Yeah. Seven point road on the uh, seven point win on the road. And other than a little blurb in the first half, we were in control of that mo that game for the most part. And it was kind of the same story. On Monday, even with a you know a bigger lead in the first half, what do you think has happened? Has I don't think really Schmidt's done too much that's changed the strategy. Do you think it's more of an intensity? Like like what do you think has happened? Well, we it seems like we are going a little more more of that matchup zone. But I will say one of the things is the emergence of Dom Welch. Um, yeah, the last three games, he has totaled 49 points. Uh, he was the best player on the floor, I thought. Um, I think it was the first St. Louis game. Uh, he had 19 against St. Louis on Monday. He only had nine on Friday. So he was a little bit better on, on oh, it was the Okay, sure. yeah. Then it was the Fordham game where he was. He looked like the best yeah. player on the floor. Uh, that one he took a flamethrower to this place. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when he is on, it changes everything. Um, the spacing on the offense looks so much better when he's able to hit and, and do his thing on the offensive end. But he just always has such a knack for the ball and where to be. It seems like his nose is always on the ball. He um, He's super, been super active on defense. He's got out and contested some threes that – during that lull, you feel like they would have been open looks, but he's getting out and blocking like Gibson Jimerson and um, some of these other guys. And I, I've just been really impressed by him the last three games. That's the lift on the wing that this team needed. Um, and, you know, I, I he has been streaky in the past, but if he can be just, you know, adequate and give us that real boost, um, I think this team looks just a lot different with that, with him out there playing that well. He did go down at the end of the St. Louis game on Monday, took a hard spill. He was taking a charge. It was a big, big charge call. Fantastic on-ball defense and then drew a charge. But he came down pretty hard on his hip. Lofton went out with a, a little groin injury for a little while. Oshun kind of walking a little bit gingerly at some points. The wear and tear of February does worry me because there's like nine games this month. We're in four games in nine days territory. Um, and you all know that these guys play a lot. So yep. I like one thing and unsung, the unsung heroes of this stretch are going to be this team's trainers getting these yes. guys right within just a 24 or 48 hour span, getting loft in and Welch game ready. Like that, Think about the trainers and the work that they're going to need to put in. I mean, this this stretch is absolutely brutal, and it's even more brutal when we don't have much depth at all. You know, when I say at all, I mean last in the country. So, <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, I would say Dom for sure, but Oshun, um, there were games where he, he let's face it, he was a non-factor in some games, and 
that's so different than what we've seen from him the first three years. I called him the most impactful player in the conference last year. And that was a year with Bones Highland to remember. So I think him getting back, he was 15 of 18 against St. Louis over those two games, nine rebounds, nine blocks. Um, but he just looks, he just looks better. You know, he's making smarter moves in the post. He's finishing around the rim. Uh, and he look most like these guys look like they're having fun again. I remember yes. making that, uh, do you want to dance video last year? And just remembering like how fun, how much fun these guys are having, not just the fans, but on the court, they're dancing and they're, you know, they're, they just look like they're having so much fun. And that was without any fans in the arena. And this year for such long stretches, it was just like, I don't know. The body language was different. The, the energy was a little different, but now it looks like we're just back. It, it's tough to point to one thing, but those are some of the things that stand out to me. My favorite stat I've seen over the past few days since the St. Louis sweep is this is from Chucky Maggio, our good friend. Oshun has shot 73.5% in his career against St. Louis, and he added to that on Monday, especially. And it's just mm-hmm. fascinating because every time we play St. Louis, we're always worried about what their big men are going to do, whether it was Hassan French for a while there. I know Martin Linson and Fred Thatch. Like there are not Fred Thatch, sorry, Francis Okoro. And it's just it's interesting how they've they really haven't matched up well recently against us, other than that one game right before the pandemic started when we lost by a zillion points at St. Louis and we, you know, we lost the double by of the tournament that never happened. It just seems like we've matched up very well with them of late. And I think you got to kind of point to just, you know, I've been critical of Mark Schmidt in the last few weeks, but I think he's been able to strategize against Travis Ford very well. I think he's out game planned him. It looks like the Bonnies are just, daring st louis to stop ocean it's it was one of those like the big man's in dominant mode and just feed it to him until they can stop him just do it until it doesn't work anymore it looked like in the first half on monday that the bonnies were just like we're giving it to ocean try to stop him once you stop him for a couple possessions we'll try something else and they just couldn't stop him they they could not stop ocean down low and you're right they have two really really good physical big man as usual i mean st louis just rolls out what looks like nfl roster nfl bodies you know fred thatch he's not a big man he's a guard but he looks like an nfl running back and okoro massive linson really big and strong like it it does worry me going into those games because i'm always like oh they're gonna out physical us down low and they're gonna win the rebounding battle but that hasn't been the case. Like Oshun has been able to stay out of, well, I don't want to say stay out of foul trouble because he did get into it Friday, but he's been able to really play well down low against some very, very good big men. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's like going into it. It's tough to say how much was how much that was a strategy going into the game or it just happened to be working. So they stuck with it, but Oshun was great against St. Louis. And I will say uh, just to get back to Dom Welch, I said before the St. Louis series started on Friday that the matchup on the wing between Dom Welch and Gibson Jimerson, their sharpshooter, their, their scorer. I said that would be the bellwether of this entire series. And I I was thinking like if Dom is off for these two games and Jimerson is on, the Bonnies lose. But if Welch can go toe-to-toe with Jimerson or even outplay him, I liked our chances a lot. And Jimerson was a complete non-factor on Friday and Welch played well. And then on Monday, um, Jimerson, you know, he was – Oh, he was good. He was fine. He had 17 points, but you know, Welch had 18 or 19. So, um, that was a huge factor on the wing winning that matchup. Um, and then, I mean, if you look at some of these stats, like, man, uh, in the two games against St. Louis, I know college basketball doesn't have quarters. They have halves, but Ken Palm breaks it down by quarter. So the second quarter, which is, 
the second 10 minutes going into halftime. Yep. The Bonnies outscored the Billikens 46 to 18 in both in Ooh. those two games. 46 to 18 in the second quarter. Um, and man, on Monday, that was just like, if it wasn't for Jordan Nesbitt for St. Louis being on as much as he was, it's a 25, 30 point game. Um, so credit St. Louis for, you know, hanging in a little bit and then really getting back to it in the second half. But those, those, that second quarter in those two games is what got us the win. And I will add to that, the turnover margin, 35 to 12 in our favor, St. Louis turned it over. 35 times in two games. Um, And they will tell you that Uri Collins is one of the best point guards in the conference. Maybe he is. He's great at distributing the ball at times. And he showed that in the pick and roll in the second half on Monday. But my God, they turned it over so much. And Collins does have to take some of the blame for that. Yeah, one other thing I did want to point out, we've been dropping a lot of stats. Look at Unfurled dropping the number knowledge out here. It's math yeah, class time. Um, one other thing I've noticed is he played 36 minutes on Monday, but Oshun's been playing a little less in the past few games. He only played 26 on Friday against St. Louis. He played 31 against Fordham. I, I think that might be a little bit of the strategy is, yeah, we, we've talked about the bench specifically about, oh, we need more bench play. I think we just need Oshun to get a little more rest. I mean, maybe not necessarily on Monday. He had, you know, he had a really good game. Mm-hmm. It's it's just something where you, you worry about his concerns with his back and stuff, and maybe yeah. that's getting better. Hopefully that's getting better. But it seems like if Koulibaly can just give us, like, five to ten minutes, maybe if you're playing a really small team, get away with Attaway at the five for a couple minutes, like, just get Oshun a little break, and you can really see him dominate. And I think the 26 minutes against St. Louis on Friday was more a foul trouble thing. Sure, um, but it still helped him play, but, and it may have yeah. helped him out to be well-rested for Monday because he had right. a short turnaround had to travel back from St. Louis. Yeah, and then, I mean, you put Koulibaly, and Koulibaly played 14 minutes um, to offset Oshun's you know, foul trouble. But then Koulibaly picked up five follows, so we didn't have a choice. We had to put Oshun back in pretty early, and luckily he was able to finish out the game. But wasn't too yeah, bad I mean, though. St. Louis yeah. didn't shoot very well from the free throw line, and mm-hmm. you know you got to pick up fouls somewhere. So I'd rather give him the Koulibaly than somebody else. Yeah, I know, and and we'll have um, our friend Rusty Tutton on, who's a bracketologist, and he's you know we we recorded that, but he talked about. Um, how going forward in these next three games, the Bonnies don't just have to win. They have to win big, you know, not maybe not in all of them, but you got to play really well and you got to, you got to pound these teams like UMass and Duquesne by at least double digits um, or at least 10, I should say, not at least double digits. We're not going to win by a hundred, although maybe we will against Duquesne. Hey, why but, not? I mean, Duquesne <laughs> is really bad yeah. this year. Oh my but God. They're so I bad. cannot wait to dance on their graves. We have to beat these teams handily and to do that, the starters got to play a lot. So I, it's tough to envision a scenario where the starters get a lot of rest and we also win big. Um, right. So that's kind of the enigma that we have found ourselves in, but um, it's certainly possible. And I, I like Schmidt's subbing of Oshun. Um, Schmidt did, you know, for as much like crap as he's gotten this year about not using the bench. I thought his substitutions have been really, really good lately, um, especially on Monday. Like he, he's taken Oshu now at at exactly when when he should be. You know, obviously he's the best coach we've ever had. So, but you know, he does leave guys in a ton. But Oshun's getting a break at say the right or right before the under twelve media timeout. So he's coming. Oshun's coming out, and it's forty seconds of rest in game time. But then you have the media timeout. He's getting like six minutes of rest, six minutes of real time when he's yeah. really only not on the floor for 40 seconds to a minute. So he's been doing that substitution pattern. And that's, that's really good to keep these guys fresh. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I, I think we'll see more of that. And against a team like Duquesne, you can even roll out a smaller lineup. I mean, we, we thrashed them on the boards the, the first time we played them. And I think we will again. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it first with what Rusty's going to talk about. Let's go ahead and listen to our next friend. Mouse is alive, juice is like wine, and I'm hungry like the wolf. 
we would like to welcome, I think this is the first time he's been on SP Unfurled and Friends, but he is has been a pretty good friend of ours, Rusty Tutton. He runs BracketForecast.com, featured on the Bracket Matrix. Very, very good at breaking down all the bracketology permutations that people are going to be watching for over the next few weeks, especially as some people hope the A-10 can be a three-bid league. Others are actually hoping it can be a zero-bid league. So, Ghosty. Rusty, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Better, better than Jerry Palm, at least. That's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty low bar to set. Jerry Palm a few weeks ago had us still as an at-large when nobody else had us at-large still. So I can't really shut him Jerry Palm too much right now. In general, I could, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he blocked that high school bracketology club. And, like, he, he blocks basically every other bracketologist on Twitter that, like, asks him, like, comes up with a mild critique. He just, like, he blocks and, like, wins for the hills. What a Excuse guy. Excuse me, sir. I think Davidson's a nine seed instead of an eight seed. Blocked. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Two spots on the seed list. Nope. You're, you're done. Rusty oh, is our favorite VCU fan, really by far, I think. Um, always super optimistic about the Bonnies, always trying to uh, – it's a VCU fan trying to reason with Bonna fans about how the Bonna team is actually in a better spot than we think, which is kind of a funny like ju- juxtaposition, which like we're not used to VCU fans having our back and vice versa. But um, Rusty, I feel like, gets – a lot of shit from pessimistic Bana fans. <clears throat> a little Bana X. Um, and Whoa. <laughs> no, we, I don't, I don't think you gave him shit, but I, I feel like Rusty gets a lot of shit, and I wanted him on because I haven't been paying too much attention to the, the bubble, and I want his perspective on where Bana is at right now. Yeah, we have to pay attention to stuff again. Well, perfect timing because the, the lady at Panera, uh, the employee just started vacuuming and is coming over to my area. So That's right. Rusty is reporting live from a Richmond area somewhere in Virginia Panera bread. It's a yeah. it's a it's really just guerrilla marketing like Panera pays me to just do the micro targeting for the friends of the friends of the unfurled podcast. <laughs> we can hear the hey, Panera yeah. bread music in the background. Um I I am sitting while contractors are here renovating my uh, bathroom. So if you hear like power tools, that's me. If you hear Panera Bread music, that's Rusty. <laughs> I think Little Bon X and our other friend Jack Bauer are, are probably good on the audio. But yeah, yell at me if you hear like a, a drill or hammering or anything. Um, but you know, back to the bracketology stuff. Look, the I think the biggest mistake that people make is they assume that you have to have like they assume that the threshold for making the field is an at large is higher or is lower than it actually, or higher than it actually is. Um, You know, when you're three and three in quad one games and you're six and six in like quad one and two combined, like that resume, like let's compare, let's take the the bracket matrix last team of the field. All right. Which is San Diego state, right. Which is a nice, it's a nice little comparison because you've, you know, you got sort of another high mid major. There goes the vacuum again. God. Um, so San Diego State right now, look at their resume. They're two and five in quad one. They're one and one in quad two. So they're three and six in quad one and two games combined. Um, compare that to Bonaventure. Bonaventure's three and three in quad one and six and six in quad two. Now, I don't want to like make any like bones about it. Like that's not the only criteria for selection. I mean, you've got your analytics and stuff like that. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, but you know, you have your like non-conference strength of schedule. You got your road record, um, but you know, if that's the threshold for a team getting in the field, then the Bonnies have a good shot just based on their quality wins and losses. Now, the biggest issue for them by far is their analytics stuff because the selection committee does for selection consider stuff like your net ranking, your Ken Palm, and that's the thing that they have to fix the most. So, you know, and, and the beautiful thing is you've got some pretty soft games coming up, and that's a great opportunity for you guys to improve your your analytics. Is it yeah, more yeah. important for us to get another really good win, like at VCU, or to avoid a bad loss, or even like a loss to Rhode Island, who not very good, but can, you know, play play teams well? 
Is that at Rhode Island or is that home? It's at the Rally Center. That's, uh, yeah, that's home. Okay, so that game really does you no good in terms of your, you know, resume. Just accept, you know, for the fact that you want to get your ranking up. Um, so that that's one of those games that really, um, from a win-loss perspective, can only hurt you. Um, and, you know, the only real games that can help you at this point, what are, um, you play Davidson at, or no, you don't play Davidson again. You play um, St. Louis, right? We play Richmond yeah. again. Okay. Richmond. Uh, you play Richmond um, and you play VCU. So those are the quad yeah. one and two games um, that can help you. Um, Richmond's now, only going to be a quad three if we're at home, though, right? Yeah, that's I, true. I, I think that's quad three. Yeah, yeah, but it also depends on like what Richmond – like they've shown some signs of waking up kind of like you guys. Like, for example, I know you guys are 87 right now, but I fully expect you to be in the top 75 by the time the season ends. So I, I expect that quad that game against you guys for VCU to be a quad two game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need so, to root for Richmond to win every game between now and March 4th. Yeah, I mean, that's like yeah. – it's fo- so funny when A-10 fans, like, want the top of the league to lose when you have a legitimate shot in an at-large. Now, I'm not saying – like, St. Bonaventure would not make the field if the season ended today. But, you know, if you, if you get that quad one-two combined record above 500 – and then you, you know, you get your analytics rankings up, then, you know, you're right there in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. So basically, this kind of turns into like the old school BCS where you have to blow out some of these teams because a lot of these games that the bodies have been playing when they've been maybe narrow uh, underdogs, they've lost by a zillion points. I feel like what was even worse than the Northern Iowa game, correct me if I'm long, wrong, but that Northern Iowa loss was not nearly as bad as Virginia Tech because A, we lost by almost 40, and then B, Virginia Tech is underwhelmed. 100%. That, that Virginia Tech loss changed. Like, if you had lost that game by, like, 8 or 10, you know, you're... It should have been a good game. It should have been a good neutral site game. It's an A on Ken Palm, but we lost by 37. Thanks to Linton Brown's buzzer beater three to cut it from a 40-point loss. Well, it's like one of those things. It was one of those games where, like, sort of the VCU and Dayton game, where they just like they got punched in the mouth and they just like they were like shell shocked the entire game and didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean that that probably cost you twenty spots in analytics and net rankings. It did. Like I, I went back and looked at the Dayton plus the Virginia Tech game, and we it, the. The two wins against St. Louis and the win against VCU, I think, barely even made up for those two losses. If it didn't didn't make up for it at all, I don't think so. Right, uh, you're right. Like those two, Dayton and Virginia Tech combined, just absolutely torpedoed our our analytics. Hundred percent, and it sucks. I mean, you know, uh, unfurled. You know, you and I have talked about this. Um, you know, we've we've sort of analyzed the the sort of behind the scenes stuff with the net rankings. And we've pretty much figured out, you know, that the NCAA has made it out to be that the net is supposed to be sort of a blend of your RPI type, type metrics, which is your quality wins and losses and the analytics, which is like Ken Palm and all that stuff. But we've pretty much figured out that it's, it's probably like 75, 25 that weights the analytics over the quality wins and losses because like, you know, St. Bonaventure, perfect example yesterday, right? St. Bonaventure is 90 in the net. They get a good quality two uh, quad two home win against the team. That's like right there on the, you know, fringe of the bubble and the Bonnie's, you know, the, the game was a four point win and the Bonnie's only move up three spots. St. Louis yeah. didn't drop at all. I don't think they dropped even, or they might've dropped one spot if it, if at all. And so that tells you right there that it's, you know, the net is basically overweighting margin of victory and adjusted efficiency. And do you want to go into a little more about how this is what you have seen as being skewed towards the power six conferences? I'm just scrolling through the the current net. Oklahoma State seems like the most egregious one. They're 52 in the net and they're 12 and 13. You can go down the list with like Kansas State 14 and 11 at 63. Let's see. West Virginia 14 11, 69. And. Vanderbilt 13, 11, 76. Like these teams, I, I don't, I have to look through all their, you know, resumes, but I can't imagine that they've had better resumes than us. Like we don't really have that nuclear loss by, by the net ranking. We just have nuclear spreads. 
Right. Uh, the biggest example is Iowa. I need to pull up their team sheet. Um, they are all right. Iowa for like let's compare to St. Bonaventure. Bonaventure's three and three in quad one and six and six in quad one and two combined, right? Um, Iowa is 0 and five in quad one and five and seven in quad one and two combined. Yet Iowa has a net ranking of nineteen. And huh. the Bonnies have a net ranking of eighty seven. I saw so that, that and you, can cherry, you can cherry pick a bunch of these and it's all <laughs> it's it, it's they're a lot like that. To your point about overrating the analytics. Absolutely. And and the reason, like, the, the Power 5 schools that can get away with it have caught on to this. And so, like, what Iowa did is, and, and here's the thing, by the way, their non-conference strength of schedule is 207. But they figured out that the, the committee doesn't give a shit anymore about not, they used to really care about bad non-conference strength of schedule. What they care far more about now is your analytics rankings. And so, you know, they're, Iowa 17th in adjusted efficiency on Kenpom. And so they they knew that in advance of the season. And so what they did was they scheduled, listen to their quad four non-conference home game, or yeah, non-conference home games. Western Illinois, Missouri, Kansas City, UNC, or North Carolina Central, Southeastern Louisiana, Portland State, Alabama State, Western Michigan. They scheduled seven games against teams that are ranked 200 or worse in the net. And they won those games by combined like 200 points or something. And so that's the reason why their adjusted efficiency is high. Does that make them better than Providence, who have won a bunch of quality games, close games, and now they're 21 and 2? You know, Pomeroy has Providence ranked in the 30s and 40s, and that's why Providence's net ranking is like 10 spots lower than Iowa's. It's, it's all kind of ridiculous. So, I mean, just we can get back to the Bonnies in a little second, but I kind of thought of something here. We always talk about like how the A10 can schedule, how the Bonnies should specifically schedule. The Bonnies took some big swings this year with UConn and Virginia Tech neutral site. Unfortunately, both were losses. Charleston is basically the main thing that we're clinging to. Mm-hmm. We beat Marquette and Boise State, who should be tournament teams, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Should the A10, whether you whether you want to think about conference scheduling or non-conference scheduling, should we be taking bigger swings? Or should we be playing it more conservative and try to just, you know, beat the crap out of Niagara by 40 points? That's, I think that the ideal strategy would be for, and this assumes that Bernadette and company are proactive, which I, I considering, yeah. considering that like Loyal yeah. basically had to bang on the door for a year to get an invite to the conference. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that they're, they're the most proactive bunch down there in Newport News or whatever the fuck the headquarters are. Eric Andre grabbing the fence. Yeah. Let us in. Let me in! So what I would do if I were the commissioner head of the league office is I would talk to the teams that are sort of like, you have no expectation that they're going to compete for an at-large. So let's take uh, in a given season. Let's take George Mason, for example, or let's take, um, you know, I don't know if I would go as far as like Rhode Island, but let's take a couple of A10 teams that you know they they're well aware that they're probably not going to be com- competing for an at-large. What you want them to do is heavily encourage them to schedule those bottom feeders so that you know they pump their net rankings up so that you get qual- more quality wins come conference time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that a combination of like scheduling crap teams in the non-conference plus you know quality wins. See, the thing, the difference with Iowa and St. Bonaventure is that Iowa gets like 10 or 15, like quad one and quad two games in conference play. So, you know, it's not as beneficial for A-10 teams to do that because once January comes, you know, the the opportunities for those signature wins is pretty limited. So, so get, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to get back to Bonnie's. Go ahead. Mr. Yeah, Bauer. Like, I, I was thinking about this and the the Iowa example, there's Virginia Tech examples. You can pull North Carolina, right? There are these teams that have, you know, almost no quality wins. Um, and you look at the quadrant system, and you, if you look purely, and, and you do the you know the Twitter trick, resume A, resume B, right? We could get a bunch of people to pick Bonaventure's resume right now based mm-hmm. on those quadrants, and. The only thing I can think of is is quantity, right? A, a lot of those teams that are up, that are considered firmly in or on the bubble, have a bunch of quad two wins. 
Um, and, and it brings me back to, to something that your your former coach, Will Wade, said in a, in a now famous to Bonaventure fans kind of like tournament week rant about the Bonaventure snub in 2016, in which he went on for, for like 20 minutes about kind of the unfairness of it um, when, when, when we were ranked 26 in RPI and, and, and were left uh, on death's door. And, and, and I think he said it should be based if you get more cracks at it and i can't do his accent right <laughs> um, if, oh if god more, yeah he has uh, a very specific like sort he, of affect right and he kind of stopped and he said it should be based on the percentage of the opportunities that you convert um because if you get more cracks at it you're just going to win more of them i i think that's almost exact right and his quote and i think back to that and that really is the inequity between the mid-majors and the power five right now if they are going to simply say that the power fives bad losses don't count and they're they just have x number of good wins you can't hold the mirror up to us and say well you've got I me mean, we have one bad loss in q3 and four mm-hmm. right and, and, and that to your point if they've got um analytics so heavily a part of net then why is at, at at resume time they're also saying well we look at the net and we look at Kempom and we look at this they're, they're they're certainly bringing analytics i think from a time when when someone like me who said we need to look more at analytics because it wasn't looked at at all mm-hmm. uh, right what was it are we four years in on the net now um, uh yeah three or four three three or four right so three or four years ago they, they barely used analytics at all. And now I would argue that the pendulum has swung back so far that the Q1 and Q2 wins and losses are almost meaningless and they don't mean the same. Um, and I'll let you answer that. I, I actually got a run uh, unfurled. I thought I was hopping on for a couple minutes, but I'll just, you know, that, that's certainly something you guys can chat about, but I'll leave you with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you for joining us, Jeff. Yes. 24 come back soon <laughs> yeah no i i think that that's a good i think it's an astute comment um the only thing i will say is that you know if you look back last year um the committee seemed to value resume meaning quality wins and losses for selection and then overwhelmingly leaned on analytics for seeding um which you know i think bonaventure got hurt in that case because they're their resume said, you know, they were probably a seven, uh, seven or an eight seed, and then they ended up, you know, down toward the bottom of the nine seed list, um, you know. But you know, which is still even silly because Bonaventure's analytics were pretty good. I mean, they were like twenty nine, thirty in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, the thing, other thing you have to keep in mind too is that there are. Last year, the balance of the committee, there were 10 members and there were six mid-major members and four members from power conferences, which is historically what it's always been um, or been for decades. And this year, they've expanded the committee to 12 and they added two power conference members. So now it's six and six. Of course they did. Each each of the power conferences, the the six power conferences is now represented on the committee. Every, Every one of those conferences has a member on the selection committee. And then you have three members from the high mid-majors, like, you know, the Mountain West, A-10, blah, 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 Missouri Valley. And then you have three from the low mid-majors. So how that change in composition is going to affect things is, you know, is anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. But the, the going back to 2016, I think that the justification by the committee, which is, to me, was absolute dog shit, um, was that to leave St. Bonaventure out was their, their bad losses. Because you guys lost to Niagara, I think, right, um, that year. Uh, that was 2018, but oh. 2016 we lost. We had a really we, bad we lost loss. To La, the, we lost to LaSalle. Yeah, LaSalle. Yeah, um, it was a really bad one. Yeah, I think you had like two quad three losses and then a quad four. And I think that that was the justification for leaving you out. Now, the good news this year is that, A, you only have the one quad three loss. And, B, uh, there, the bubble this year has so many teams that are like somebody's going to be getting in as an at-large several teams will be getting in as an at-large that have like low quad three or quad four losses like florida lost to texas southern they're in the hunt um boise state had a quad four loss they're in the hunt 
Um, you've got EYU who is in the hunt and they have a quad four loss. Um, so, you know, that's not, you know, one quad three loss, a marginal one that is not going to be the end of the world. Um, the, the issue is, like I said, you, you got to get your analytics up because the we know that the power conference members are probably going to be using that, whether it's, a, you know, whether it's a genuine concern or thing that they consider or whether they're just using it to get more power conference teams in. You got to get that ranking up so they don't have that justification. So getting back a little bit to our um, Bonnie's resume for whatever we have of a resume right now, since it's a little bit more hopeful than it was a week ago, since some of us probably literally buried the Bonnie's basketball program, they'll remain nameless of who actually did that. But (laughs) getting back to our resume, what do you think needs to be done before we could be on that cut line? Do you think, you know, is it sweeping the final six games and then getting to Saturday in DC? Like what, what, what do you think is kind of the, the magic road to to an at-large. Here, I think that you often hear this, like, you know, a month out, you have people saying, oh, we need to win out in the regular season, and we need to get to the conference finals. And, like, the, like, add-in of the conference tournament, like, the necessity of getting all the way to the finals, and, and if you lose that, like, I think that that's way overblown. Like, man, you got six games left to go. Um, like, so much can change, like, not just with your resume, but, like, typically in one of the more prominent bracketology folks mentioned this last week in the last month of the season, four more teams play themselves off of the bubble and play, you know, they suffer bad losses or just like totally shit the bed in quad one and two games um, then play themselves on. And so if you're one of those teams that like, let's say Bonaventure wins out and you win those like body bag games by like 20, 25 points, then man, I would, I would seriously have a hard time believing that, you wouldn't be in the field or close to a lock at that point. Um, I know that seems crazy, but just remember a month out in the regular season or three weeks or six games or whatever, man, there is so much room to change everything. I mean, you can like Arkansas change their conversation in the mat in the span of a week. Um, so Lord knows you can do that um, over the course of three weeks. But yeah, I mean, you got to get your, you know, sure. Like you want to get your quad one and two combined record above 500. Because historically, if you're above it, like if you have two or three quad one wins and you're above 500 as a high mid major, you're above 500 and quad one and two combined. And you only have like one, maybe two marginal quad three losses. Historically, that's the that's the recipe for an at large bid from a mid major. So right. we have to beat VCU, I guess, because that's really the only one left. <laughs> I certainly fucking hope not, but uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but you got. Speaking of VCU, I know you got a. The, the game is probably tipped off, correct? Well, I'm but, just sort uh, of watching as we go along. So I'm watching actually... at Panera. Yeah, yeah on my side. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, any any other parting words with with Bon Nation? Get your you know, get your I, analytics I, rankings up and get above. 500 and quad one and two and i think you guys will be in the tournament um you suffer but it could swing just the the other way just as easily you you suffer a bad loss and that's probably you know seals your fate yeah you should have just said use your beer money to uh get a ken palm subscription that's right (laughs) that seems like a vc fan dig it's 20 it's 20 bucks a year man it's not like he's like yeah it's taking like it's not like you're paying for your mortgage every month (laughs) (laughs) should bana's reschedule the gw game it depends. It depends on like from a like bracketology standpoint. Hell no. Um, but it depends on like if that's the difference between you finishing fourth and fifth. Then absolutely, because you know you want to put yourself in a position where you you just you don't want to leave yourself any trap games. You want to play as few trap games as possible in the in the conference tournament. So wait and see if you're on the bubble or if you have a chance at a double buy, and then try to do it last minute yeah i mean i would say i would talk to you know if i'm the athletic director in from both schools from gw and st bonaventure i would talk to the league office and say look let's wait till march 5th and let's see if any if if it 
changes anything significantly in terms of the conference standings that one game then let's go ahead and schedule it you know on monday or tuesday because it's the game would be down in dc and right. you don't have to move anywhere after that yeah yeah that's true both teams would have to agree it's tough to imagine if if bana's had everything to gain and gw only had something to lose as far as like maybe getting knocked down to the pillow fight or something then they wouldn't agree to it but we would i I don't know how that would work but um something that we'll have to keep an eye on for sure yeah yeah well rusty tutton thank you so much again for joining us rusty is part of bracketforecast.com he runs bracketforecast.com check him out he's really knowledgeable about all the bracketology permutations that we will be seeing over the next few weeks. We're glad we were having you on because it means the Bonnies are at least somewhat back in the bubble conversation, or at least we're worried about seeding if we are able to, you know, win it all in D.C. I know you're not hoping we do that since you're a VCU fan, but thank you for coming on into uh, enemy territory here, Rusty. Yeah, guys, happy to come on um, anytime. Take care. Enjoy the soup. Yeah, bread bowls. <laughs> broccoli cheddar, baby. All right, all right, take it easy, guys. The Sword of Damocles! You want to thank Rusty Tutton again from BracketForecast.com for joining us as a great friend of ours. I know you and him have been really working on some of those bracketology breakdowns of how the net rankings work. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that you wanted to mention about what you've worked with him that we didn't get a chance to touch on? Well, I do these player ratings, as you see on a lot of my graphics, and I've, I, I feel like I have the best overall player ratings in the entire country i'm not like there aren't many mine combines a lot of different important stats and i think they reflect the overall player um player ratings are awesome because they're rare a lot of people do the team rankings but we're yeah we are looking into doing some some of our own types of team rankings and getting into the metrics and how we feel uh the metrics should be utilized um because i do think it favors heavily the power five um it seems like the net was really a trojan horse to get um the power five yet another edge in the conversation not not just adding two power five people to the committee to throw off the balance of the committee to give the majority to the power five when it was um the non-p5 but they're doing things like introducing a very shady um net system or sus as the kids say (laughs) so it it is very sus it is very sus and the fact that they don't offer any type of clarity um is concerning because no one knows like what method they're even using so um yeah we're, we're looking into that the more seasons that go by the more data that comes out you have a better reflection of what this is but um right now there's some there's some very serious questions with the net yeah, I think the net won't matter, though, if we lose any of the games in the next six yeah. days. We have no. three games in six days. <clears throat> UMass, we're dropping this on Wednesday. So UMass today, Duquesne on Saturday, Rhode Island on Tuesday, all at home. A rare four-game homestand in the Riley Center. Yeah, And these games, UMass, UMass has played well. They've beaten Rutgers sometimes. Rhode Island's, you know, gave Davidson a fight on Saturday. That was a really close game. Duquesne, uh, RIP Bozos. I am more than happy to say that Duquesne has gone, what's their record? Six and 17 since that nonsense they play, they pulled at the A10 tournament last year. So, yeah, that one, um, I already know I'm going to be taking them in Survivor when I give you my picks for next week's cycle. I've been fading them actually three weeks. Let me pull up my, my bracket thing here. I've yeah, I've faded them three straight weeks. I took them against Davidson, I took them against Dayton, and I took them against Richmond in the last three weeks. So half of Duquesne is responsible for half of my still winning bracket in your survival pool. If you have Bonnie still alive, that'll be the popular pick. I haven't used the Bonnies yet. I was gonna use them against St. Joe's a few weeks ago, but I I forgot to. Um, and I guess now I'm going to have to use it against Duquesne, fortunately. And so that'll hopefully that, that should keep my, my first place bracket or my top bracket in there, but getting back to this, I know we don't really need to get too much into the, the matchups. I know the Mitchell brothers on Rhode Island are probably the players that scare me the most out of any of these three teams. Yeah. What do you kind of make of what needs to happen beyond obviously not losing and then also making sure we watch the analytics like what what else are you gonna be looking for this week uh no injuries um (laughs) staying healthy of course is huge and 
if you look at each of these games individually, um, we have a very good chance of winning each one. But if you say, what are the chances we go three and oh, that goes down to about 50%. So you're looking at, if you're looking at the analytics and stuff, it's a coin flip that we sweep these teams and we absolutely have to, um, if you want to even be in the conversation going into the Atlantic 10 tournament, being on the bubble, you have to win every one of these games. And I don't think we're going to have a problem with UMass and Duquesne at home, especially Duquesne. Um, the worst team in the A-10 coming in on a Saturday on 80s weekend. The Riley Center is sold out. Um, the Riley Center and many arenas across the country have been down on attendance, down on energy. A lot of it is COVID-related. Um, I think the Riley Center has been, you know, it, it hasn't been the home crowd that we're used to. And a lot of that is COVID related, but Duquesne, that crowd should be buzzing. That's going to be a good yeah. crowd. I do not see us losing that. And I, I mean, UMass is really bad too, and they just don't really have much of a presence inside at all. Um, the one that does worry me, like you, I think alluded to is Rhode Island and maybe we'll get another one of these out before the Rhode Island game. But if not, um, yeah, the Mitchell twins are pretty good. Um, they have some good players, but that's a team that seems like it gets up for the big games against the top tier. And then they really kind of play down to their opponent's level. So they lost six in a row until they beat Davidson, which is so weird how that happens. Like they're losing to GW and Fordham and UMass at home. And then all of a sudden they beat Davidson, who's <laughs> considered the best team in the league. And they, they are tight with Dayton. They only lost by six to Dayton. Right. And that was they, an ugly, that was an end. ugly, ugly game. Um, So on Saturday they'll get GW and then they have us. So that's, there's equal rest there. Uh, I think we match up pretty well with them and you know, they're, that's the team that is capable of picking off some teams because they do, they play somewhat physical and they have a really pretty good defense, a top 50 defense. Their offense is quite bad though. So, um, that's the, that's the one that worries me most, but if we can just get through these landmines, then come that VCU game, that's going to be a big one. Yeah, the only matchup that would concern me a little bit with Rhode Island is Makai Mitchell versus Jalen Attaway since uh, Makai Mitchell has about four inches on him. So that could be a little tricky, but if Attaway pulls him out, then that could yeah. create more space down low. So mm-hmm. it goes both ways there. So we'll have to see how that goes. But that, that that's the one matchup that would concern me for Rhode Island because other than that, I've watched Rhode Island quite a bit this year. Even when they were playing Davidson, I didn't really see that as like a huge, you know, they beat Davidson, but I didn't take that as like a big victory for you know how Rhode Island was playing. I took that more as Davidson just not executing on offense nearly as well as they do, and it it seemed like a little bit of an aberration to me personally. But we'll have to see. You know, Rhode Island does yeah. have potential, especially if we're going to be playing our third game in six days. That could be very difficult to stay fresh for. It'll be important to also get that three wins because after that, we actually get a little bit of a, a break in between the St. Joe's game on the road and the home game against David or home game against Rhode Island. That's, that's an extra, a little extra day in there, but you know, with this, this compacted schedule, every day counts for break. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and one other point I'd, like you mentioned David's Rhode Island beating Davidson. Um, this has nothing to do with the Bonnies or the, the landmines coming up. So yeah. sorry, sorry for changing the subject, but Davidson, they are considered the best team in the league. They have been absolutely flirting with disaster for almost a month. Now they only <laughs> beat Fordham by three. They only beat the LaSalle was a close game for most of it. GW. They only beat by five St. Joe's. They only beat by six Duquesne, they won by 11, but like they had, and then they lost to VCU, which is fine. They lost by two and lost to Rhode Island. So for that about VCU a month, game, they were getting Davidson blown out. hasn't that VCU game. They yeah. were getting blown but, out. I was watching it, but at the very end, they like, there was some weird nonsense that happened that made that a two point game. It was, yeah. But they, mm-hmm. they were, they got manhandled yeah. in that game. Yeah. But they, I mean, they, they have not looked all that great. I will say that. Um, so they are yeah, still well, a bad, they're still a bad matchup for us. I don't want to see them in DC, no. but they're not like a juggernaut of a team. 
it's the matchup more than the talent for them. But one final right. thing I know he alluded to a little bit with Rusty. I think a question that is starting to get more and more traction from Bonnie's fans is this GW game that got canceled. It was supposed to be December 30th. GW, I believe, had the COVID. I think both teams had COVID issues at that point. And anyways, it hasn't gotten rescheduled. The only place that there seems to be any kind of somewhat legitimate opening for it to happen is on the Monday before A-10s, like when we made up a game against Dayton last year. Unfortunately, that was happened to be the same day of uh, or the day after Dr. Perro's passing. But going just with this A10 double buy talk that we're you know we weren't we weren't hoping we'd be t- doing the double buy talk, but we we're going to be doing the double buy talk now, and it's almost like a 50-50 chance that we get it now. And I still think we can't win four games in four days. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I also buried the program <clears throat> oh, about a week ago. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> but what do you what do you think? I, I don't know. There hasn't seemed like many much traction for this game to get rescheduled. But we've seen it before, where games just pop up out of nowhere. So what do you what do you yeah. think happen? I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie Don't Look Up, and GW <laughs> is a meteor hurling toward planet Earth, and no one gives a shit about it. And that game could explode our entire season because it could be the difference between playing three games in three days with a double buy and playing four games in four days. Teams rarely, very rarely can go four games in four days. St. Louis did it when they beat us in 2019, but it hardly ever happens. And it's even more difficult to happen when you're last in the country in bench minutes, you know? So Four games in four days for just five guys is tough. So I feel like this should be on people's radar. What happens if March 4th rolls around and we find ourselves in fifth place at 11 and six and the fourth place team, St. Louis, is 12 and six? Yeah. Guess what? We don't get a double buy. We don't get a double buy. Play GW, get to 12 and six. And we have a double buy. Yeah, um, and it, this is kind of similar to what I don't we know. saw last season. If you think about it, we won the regular season title over VCU. We were a half game ahead of them. That Dayton game ended up not really mattering for the standings. Yeah. But we were half game ahead of them because we played 15 games. They only played 14 in conference. I was going to say, the yeah. Series, they split the season series that year. And then I think because we beat Davidson twice, we still would have been the – uh, regular season mm-hmm. champion, but Pretty that not. goes to show you like what could happen if you don't play all these games. And I think it would be very fa- unfair on the A10s part if this game doesn't get played. It seems like the most natural place for it to be played is that Monday because GW does play on Saturday against Richmond at the or against at Fordham at the mm-hmm. end of the year. But GW may also need this game for seeding and. It, it may, they may, may, you know, they may want to try to avoid a double buy if they're in the eleventh spot, or they may want to yeah. avoid playing a certain team. I and it also makes sense too because since this was supposed to be a road game at GW, it's right in DC. Yeah, the guys can, like Rusty mentioned before, they can just stay down in DC for a week. They can go right after Friday night the game. They can go on Saturday down yeah. there. Um, it, it just seems like that would be the perfect fit for this. I just wonder if. There's the urgency on the Bonnie's part. There's urgency on GW's part, on the conference's part, because this is going to really hurt our chances. I, I do not see us at all winning four games in four days Mm-mm. in the A10 tournament. If we It'd get tough. three, It'd be tough. Yeah. If we get if we get a top four seed, I think we are equal favorites to Davidson. I think they can get on a roll. Yeah. I think we basically saw that last time around, where other than a little hiccup when Keith Dambrot decided to break dance on the court down 10. We basically <laughs> torpedoed them. We were, had our, by, I think, even a more dominant performance against yeah. St. Louis. And then, yeah, we had a break, but we controlled the VCU final for pretty much the entire game. Three games in three days does not scare me even with a short bench. But four games, that really does trip me up, especially because yeah. we could be playing one of these you know, St. Joe's UMass teams where we may not blow them out. And those guys may start playing 40 and it's like, okay, now you got to go out and play that St. Louis team and, or VCU or somebody. So I I think that really needs to be a focus. And 
I, I don't know. I don't know. You haven't really heard much on that front. I, I don't know what else to say. Like we, we I, really well, this game we played. Well, I, I have heard that we're not making it up at this point. And that's really at this point. <laughs> right. Well, that they have, there's no intention to make it up. Um, and that's discouraging because of the scenario I, I laid out. Um, like not only that, but it couldn't work out more perfectly. The tur- the A10 tournament is in DC, and this game is supposed to be in DC. You go down Ryan play Paleo, on Monday. GW Superfan can drive the guys to the Smith or from the Smith Center to Capital One Arena if we need to. Like mm-hmm. like Ryan Paleo, offer your services. He likes St. Bonaventure. <laughs> and 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 we should I forgot to ask Rusty Rusty about it. Um but this VCU fans know last year if they would have made up a game against Fordham, they would have been co A ten champions probably. And they didn't and we right. were. But this is like they were in the tournament and we're on the probably maybe right now we're on the bubble. Um, we're on the yeah, bubble. The bubble. It's like okay, if you lose, it could tank your at-large season. But are we gonna operate out of fear right now? Like we, I feel like we need to be proactive. And the longer we wait, the I I don't know exactly how it works, but it just seems like you can't wait until March fourth because going into March fourth. We're not going to know if we're a half going to be a half game behind. I think the entire conference plays on that day. On March third, we're not going to know if we're going to be a half game behind. There's too many moving parts. This stuff needs to be in place. I feel like, and there's just I, it seems like there's no intention to make it up. And if February fifth rolls around and we're in fifth place at eleven and six, March, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, March fifth. Yeah, March fifth rolls around, and we're in ele- fifth place at eleven and six. And St. Louis is twelve and six. Uh, it's an ultimate pie on the face moment like that. It's it's too easy not to, and it doesn't make any sense. Like why? And, we and maybe it's not double buy. Maybe you know because. I don't really want us to lose any more than one game, like maybe the VCU or Richmond games. Other than that, we should not lose in this next, you know, four game stretch. But even if we're not talking double buy, because I think five, I think five losses could still get you a double buy because the A10, like the threshold seems pretty low this year for, you know, the double buy losses. I think we could be worrying about, oh, do we want to play Davidson again? Or do we want to be probably matched up with Dayton? I don't really know which one. Mm-hmm. I still think I'd prefer Dayton because I still have seen more quiet performances from them on, on offense. And I think our defense at its peak can slow them down more. Whereas Davidson, I still worry about three-point shooting because even at our best, our three-point defense has been suspect. Sus, as you said before. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it, whether it's I, – I think it has to be played. And one other thing that you mentioned on on Tuesday is that if we try to play the game and if GW doesn't really want to play the game, like there could be a scenario where the A10 could you know either force them to play or make GW yeah. forfeit. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think that this is all on the A10 to – to reschedule and it's only the a 10 that can do it. But um, listen, last year I was the first to say when the eight, I thought the a 10 was coming up short and not being proactive enough. And Rusty alluded to it with membership issues. And like, it's not a very proactive league down there in Newport news. It seems like, but this, I don't think this is all on the Atlantic 10 from my yeah. understanding it is up to schools to make up postponed games. Like the a 10 can offer advice, advice and count like council teams on when it could work or how it could work. But um, it is also on the schools to make up the postponed games. And I, I think they said that to schools in early January, and that doesn't preclude teams from rescheduling games on their own. Um, that's been the league's advisement to do it on your own. Uh, that's obviously the teams that that's the most efficient way to do it, to just have the teams agree on it and do it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's going to be a talking point for me for the next couple of weeks. I I am ninety nine percent sure the game's not going to happen based on what I've heard. But um, 
hey, I'll continue to be Leo DiCaprio and uh, don't look up. Well, I hope we don't need it for a double buy. I hope we're you know disappointed. It's like, oh, I wish we had it for seating purposes for a three or a four or two or a three or whatever it may be. I hope we're not worrying about it for a double buy. But that all starts first off just taking care of business against UMass, Duquesne, and Rhode Island at home. And you know what? If we don't play that game, maybe we need to have a little bit of a gathering on March 6th. Will be fun at the Capitol. We may have to, uh, you know, on March 6th, you know, sometimes some interesting things happen on the 6th of the month in in Washington, D.C. by some, you know, just some passionate people who really just feel aggrieved and unheard and, you know, they just want to speak up for the common man, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Blackburn Review will be in favor of that insurrection. <laughs> well, yeah. Do we go to D.C. or do we go to Newport News? Uh, they'll, they'll all be well, in Well, Turner will be in D.C. that yeah. week. So, yeah. I mean, you would think that there would be some A-10 uh, head honchos there <laughs> the a10 brass will be there yes um, <laughs> storm the capital one arena storm the capital one arena <laughs> we must storm the capital one arena please <laughs> i'll be there i'll be there i hope be it's there. on I will be fun fourth and not or uh excuse me i hope it's on what's what's the february when that's there. i hope it's on the 11th and not the 10th i will say that um, yeah so <laughs> that's true i don't want to storm i don't want to storm i don't i don't need to uh i don't need to join tory in jail thank you so much for joining us here on sp unfurled and friends once again follow us on twitter at little x for nonsense for premature burials of the saint bonaventure men's basketball program follow sp unfurled for more level-headed advice level-headed analysis some very interesting graphics very interesting you know, interpretations of everything that's going on. We're getting very close to the end of the season, giving you some more content throughout the year. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Stitcher, tune in. We're a Google Podcast, I think, still has us now. Yeah, go ahead. Give us that love on there. Rate us well. And thank you all so much for joining us. If you're going to 80s weekend, have a blast. Yeah.